My guest today is a clinical pharmacist. Please welcome Sylvester Abaiwe. Sly, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Hey, thanks for coming on to the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Man, not a problem. Thank you for having me. Cool, cool. Well, all right, let's jump right into this then. What do you do? All right. Well, <laughs> I'm a pharmacist, right? But I'm not the pharmacist in the traditional sense. Most people, when they think about pharmacy, they think about CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, somewhere like that. You go to the doctor, get a prescription, take it to the pharmacy, and it gets filled by the pharmacist. But instead, I'm what we call a clinical pharmacist. And so after pharmacy school, I did additional training. I did a residency, just like physicians will do after they get out of medical school. And I did mine in what we call ambulatory care. But it's the same type of thing of what most people call primary care, like when you go see a primary care provider or whatever the case may be. And so because of that, I get to do clinical work. And so I'm not in a pharmacy dispensing, but instead I'm seeing patients and I'm managing their medications along with certain disease states, most specifically diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, COPD, and a few other things. Okay. All right. So you're working directly with physicians and patients to ensure that your patients are getting the right medication, the right medications are prescribed, I should say. Exactly. Okay. Uh, that they're, they're getting the right medications. There's no drug-drug interactions with other medications they're taking. The medications are dosed appropriately. Sometimes patients with renal dysfunction, their doses need to be different. Certain drug interactions will cause certain dosing restrictions and stuff like that. So yeah, in essence, that's what I do. All right. And then you mentioned having to go through residency training for that. Did you also have to do some type of specialist board certification as well? Well, yeah. So I am board certified in ambulatory care. So now there are clinical pharmacists in all aspects of healthcare and pharmacy. So there are for pharmacists that work in internal medicine, for patients who are actually in the hospital and patient. There are oncology clinical pharmacists. There are infectious disease clinical pharmacists, cardiology, so on and so forth. So yeah, but I am board certified in ambulatory care, yes. Okay, great. And now, can you just talk about that process, going through residency and getting board certified, just from people that just have no idea about how it works? How is that? Right. So let me take you back a little bit. So I have an undergraduate degree from University of Texas in, in biology. Okay. And, and then I went to pharmacy school, which was additional four years. Straight uh, out of, right after uh, mm -hmm. undergrad? Okay. Right. And so that was a doctorate of pharmacy. And so that was four years. Three of those years is uh, what we call didactic learning or books. And then that last year was where we do experiential training, which is when you go on rotations. And so you get to experience different aspects of pharmacy. And then after that, you graduate. And so from there, I went and did a residency at the VA. And uh, it was the, the focus was in ambulatory care. And so that was for another year. Nowadays, it's about two years, actually. Mm. But back then, it was about a year. And so after that, I went to go work at the county doing what I do now at the VA. I did at the county. I did that for eight years. But while I was working at the counties, when I sat for the board certification exam. And so it's just, man, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, that's probably the toughest exam I've ever taken, but you know, it's, it's something that comes with the territory, mm -hmm. you know, but you do have to have 
a little bit of experience in the field before you can sit before the exam. So you have to have a certain amount of hours in primary care, so to speak, and you have to have other requirements before you can sit for the exam. And so after about, I want to say two years, I had all the requirements necessary. And so then I sat for the, the exam and passed and there we have it. Oh, great. Okay. And then you talk about making sure that your patients have the right medications or the right medications are prescribed. But outside of that, are you also educating your patients on uh, other steps to improve their health, like exercise or diet or any other things? Yeah. So uh, (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that. I've I've talked to about seven patients this morning already. And Mm. so my typical day now, or let me not say my typical day, but let me say my typical visit with the the veteran now is a little bit different because of COVID. And I'm predominantly working from home. So I'm doing a lot of either video calls or phone calls, the, the, the veterans. And so if it's diabetes, then yeah. Um, you, what what I'm, I'm able to do in my scope of practice is I can adjust medications. I can, you know, send the patients for labs. I can refill their chronic medications that they're taking as, as long as it's for what I'm seeing them for. So if I'm seeing a, di- a patient for diabetes, I'm not going to do anything with pain medications or anything like that. But for the diabetes, the insulins, for the oral medications they may be taking, stuff like that, I can refill all those. Now, I always tell patients um, that it's not just the medications that is going to, it's not like a one shot, right? It's not like I just adjust your insulin and everything is good to go moving forward, right? It's really a three-step approach when you manage diabetes and even some of these other disease states. One of them, of course, is going to be medications, but the other two is going to be some sort of physical activity, right? I try to get patients to do some sort of physical activity on what we say uh, is most days of the week. So not going two days without doing some sort of physical activity. And I always tell the veteran, look, I'm not telling you you have to go join the gym or anything like that, but even just walking 30, 45 minutes, you know, every other day, that will go a long way. And then the third thing is, of course, your diet. And so I'm not a dietitian, but I'm well-versed with diabetes type or what we would call an ADA diet. And so I do discuss that with the patients and make sure that they are well aware that you you could be taking 50, 60 units of insulin, but if you're eating whatever you want, your blood sugar is still going to be high. And so it's a three-step approach in regards to getting that diabetes under control. Nice. All right. This is interesting because I'm guessing most people do not know about this side of pharmacy, clinical Absolutely. pharmacists. At Absolutely. All. Yeah. Absolutely. No. Right. All right. And the, uh, not to cut you off, but the, no. the side it is, um, you know, it, the whole clinical pharmacy thing is growing. You know, I remember when I was in pharmacy school, I got my first experience with the clinical pharmacist pretty early on, like in my first or second, I think it was the summer between my first and second year of pharmacy school. And that was I was like, look, this is what I want to do. I had already been working at CVS even prior to pharmacy school as a technician. And so I knew that that's not what I wanted to do long term. But I was still trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. But like I said, when I got that first experience with the clinical pharmacist, I was like, yeah, this is this is the route for me. So how does that work? You're in pharmacy school and you do rotations and you're working with different type of pharmacists. And right. Once you got this type of rotation, you got that spark in you and said, this is what I want to do. 
Well, so it wasn't, it wasn't that I had the rotation because you usually don't do those rotations. Well, at least then when I was in pharmacy school, you don't do those type of rotations until your fourth year. Mm. But what I ended up happening doing was I had, I started to do some research okay. with Harris County. And so the, the pharmaceutical research that I was doing paired me with the clinical pharmacist. And so that pharmacist allowed me to kind of shadow them and see what they did and on and so forth. And so that's why I said I was able to get that experience early on. Now in pharmacy school, they're trying to get the younger students more exposure to different aspects of pharmacy early on. So yeah. it's not in your fourth year when you're getting ready to graduate. That's great. So no one really held your hand and, and kind of told you where to go or, or told you the different areas that you can get into, but you kind of did your research your own and, and was able to find this. That, that's awesome. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. All right. Now you mentioned working in the county versus the VA. I'm sure there's different types of typical patients that you would see. Right. Uh, is there much of a difference uh, working in the two? And if so, how is that transition going from one to the other? Well, so I'll say this. Working at the county, and I did it for, like I said, eight years, leaving the county and going to the VA was one of the toughest decisions that I've ever had to make professionally Hmm. because I really, truly enjoyed what I did at the county. It's just that the thing about the county was the volume of patients that I was seeing. My wife and I were getting ready to have our first child. I know I needed a little bit better quality of life outside of work. And so that's why I transitioned to the VA. But at the county, I loved it. I worked at City Gas Health Center, and it's in Fifth Ward. And I really liked working there, more specifically, because I was in an area where a lot of the patients looked like me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, with you and I, we probably have encountered a lot of African American, or just let's just say black professionals, mm-hmm. right, and, you know, in all kinds of industries, right, mm-hmm. in, in including medical, right? But in that specific area where City Gas is located, uh, 610 at Wayside, they don't get to see too many people that look like us in those type of positions. Right. And so I could tell you how many times my patients bring their kids, their grandkids to their appointments with them because they just wanted them to see somebody who looked like them Mm -hmm. that was doing something that they probably didn't think was possible. And so I have a very strong bond with a lot of those patients. Matter of fact, I still have a lot of their phone numbers and I still call them and check on them from time to time just because of the relationship that we developed throughout those eight years that I was there. Now, transitioning to the VA, I will say the patient population is not that different overall, except for the race component. I still have a good number of African-American veterans that I see though, don't get me wrong. But when I was in the county, it was mostly African-American and Hispanics and mm-hmm. you know, a handful of Caucasian patients. But at the VA, it's, it's more of a mixture. But as far as their diabetes being out of control, blood yeah. pressure being out of control, cholesterol out of control, that's very similar. Mm, okay. But you can definitely tell you that the passion you have for what you do, it bleeds out of you. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So were there any surprises in clinical pharmacy for you? Like coming out of pharmacy school, is there anything that you just thought, I did not expect to have to deal with this or do this? Well, yeah. You know, I have a lot of stories <laughs> with the patients. Like I said, especially when I was at the county, the rapport that I developed with those patients, it's like they came to me for anything. So I would be surprised at some of the things or some of the requests 
mm-hmm. they asked of me, especially mm-hmm. considering that I'm not their primary care provider. I'm their clinical pharmacist. I, I'm there to be ancillary service to their PCP. But a lot of times they would come to me first for things. You know what I mean? Like I said, just because of the rapport. And right. I give you an example. I had a patient one time with diabetics. One of the things that we always worry about is them losing feeling and sensation in their extremities. Mm-hmm. And so because of, I won't bore you with the mechanism of uh, how that happens, but with excess blood in the sugar, a lot of times blood can't flow like it needs to and it, it can't flow to extremities. And so a lot of times patients lose sensation in these extremities. And so I had this guy, he was a construction worker. And so he was working one day and doing this thing and then he got home and he was taking off his boots and he noticed he had blood all in in his sock right and so he he looked and was trying to figure figure out where it was coming from and so he looked at the bottom of his foot and he had a nail right the nail had went through the bottom of his his boot into the bottom of his foot and because he didn't have any type of sensation whatsoever he didn't even feel it right and so you know he's like what's going on so the next day he comes to the clinic Right. He comes to the clinic. He doesn't go to see his PCP. He comes in and, and tells my nurse that he needs to speak with me. You know, they call me Dr. A because, you know, a lot of people can't say my last name. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I need to see Dr. A. So I, I let him in my office and I ask him what's going on. And then he tells me, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I, I can't do anything about this, but I get his primary care provider. And so we're looking at the foot. We give him a tetanus shot this that and the other long story short he ended up losing some toes mm. behind it mm. but that's just to say what the patients would come to me for wow you know outside of anything that i'm trained to do right you know i mean so just felt so comfortable with you like you said right. be like yeah exactly. Exactly. Had that bond wow so can you talk about when you realized that you wanted to be just a pharmacist in general well, I have a lot of healthcare providers in my family, not immediate family, extended family. And so I have a, a few uncles that are pharmacists and one specifically worked in the industry. And so, you know, it, it's kind of been in my mind since I was younger that I was going to do something in healthcare between medicine and pharmacy. But my uncles kind of kind of geared me to pharmacy. I have a younger brother, actually, who went on to become a medical doctor, but yeah, it, it just always has kind of been in me. And so even, you know, I, I think when I was even first able to start working, I worked as a clerk or cashier, I should say, in the pharmacy mm. at Eckerd Drugs. It's not even yeah. Eckerd anymore, CVS, but yeah. sure, that's how long ago it was. <laughs> but yeah, I was just a cashier in the pharmacy. And there was this Ghanaian pharmacist who kind of pushed me that way as well. So it, it's just been in, in my mind for forever. That's great. Okay. All right. Now you mentioned a typical visit, what that's like for you, but what about a typical day? How does that look like for you? Okay. So I give you a typical day pre COVID because uh, even though I'm still doing a lot of the same things now, it's just more remote, but a typical day, my day is seven 30 to four. And so, and, but my first patient doesn't start till eight 30. So when I get there, 730. I'm usually trying to catch up on emails, answer any drug information questions that I may have gotten from some of the providers. And then I get my day started with my patients. And that usually goes until about one or two o'clock. And then after that, I am answering more drug questions. I have a lot of nurses that will ask me, can I give this vaccine with this vaccine? Can it be in the same arm? Can I do it on the same day? So on and so forth. 
at the VA, we have a pretty strict formulary. So a lot of the providers will ask me, hey, is this drug on formulary? If it's not, can it meet criteria for use to get it? And then I, from time to time, will have a pharmacy student with me. And so I'll be training the pharmacy students and having them see some patients as well. I also, I do lectures from time to time at the area pharmacy schools, TSU and U of H. So sometimes I'm doing lectures usually on diabetes or heart failure. Those are the two that I usually lecture on. And from time to time, I'll, I'll give presentations to the providers down in the clinics because the VA, kind of like the county, like I said, we have a, a formulary, so in a, a strict formulary in that. So like if, if I go to my primary care doctor, he can pretty much prescribe me anything that he wants. And, and then I take it and, and try to get it filled at the pharmacy. But at the county and at the VA, the providers, the, they can't just prescribe anything because you're trying to keep costs down, right? right? At the county, those patients don't have insurance, right? right? For the most part. At the VA, the, the patients, for the most part, don't have insurance. Mm -hmm. So the federal government is the one that's paying for their medications and whatever else they need to get done. So they try to keep the formulary restricted to save on cost. And so from time to time, they will do different bids with different drug companies. And for instance, there are several statins that you can take for cholesterol, mm -hmm. right? To bring your cholesterol down. Yeah. But there may be one specific statin that is on our formulary because we get that at a cheaper rate than the other ones, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. And so that's the one that almost all the veterans will, will be on. But now another drug company may come in and outbid the one that we have on formulary. And so because of that, our formulary changes. Mm. And so it's up to me to let the providers know, hey, this is what we're moving to. And so this is what we're going to be requiring for you to change in regards to prescribing for the veterans and stuff like that. So in, in essence, we have a pharmacy at the VA, right? Mm -hmm. And those pharmacists work as your traditional pharmacist. And I'm down in the clinic as a liaison a lot of times between the pharmacy and the providers. So I need to let them know what's on formulary, what changes and things like that. Okay. And these changes, how are you finding out about these changes? And just in general, all these different changes in medicine and all these new improvements and new medicines out there. Uh, you mentioned the different statins for cholesterol. Like, how are you staying abreast on all this and staying on top of it? Well, so yeah. So like pharmacy, just like like medicine, just in general, you have to be like a lifelong learner. So it's mm -hmm. not like you're out of pharmacy school, you're out of residency, and now you just coast and keep it pushing and like that. You know, so I'm constantly reading up on new medications that are being approved. I'm a, a part of a few listservs. And so, you know, that's how I get a lot of information as well on new medications, um, some articles that are coming out about certain medications, this, that, and the other. And as far as formulary changes and stuff like that, that's usually relayed to us via pharmacy administration. Okay. And so they relay that information to us and then we relay it to the providers. Okay. So a lot of reading though. As far yeah, as the, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right. So can you talk about what you believe are most important skill sets and characteristics that are important for being a successful clinical pharmacist? Well, I'll say this. For one, communication is very, very big because I'm constantly, constantly, constantly 
throughout the day communicating with all kinds of providers, right? Yeah. Not even just the providers, the primary care providers down in the clinic where I'm at. I'm constantly talking to cardiologists. You know, I'm constantly talking to infectious disease experts. I'm constantly communicating with nurses. I'm constantly communicating with clerks. Is, is this patient scheduled? Is this patient's lab scheduled? This, that, and the other. So the communication is, is a very big part of what I do. Yeah, of course, you have to be knowledgeable in what yeah. you're doing, right? Of course. But being able to communicate with certain providers, students, I think that's very, very key. Um, I also think that you have to be do well with time management because, like I said, I'm pulled in different directions all the time, right? And so I have to be able to see these patients, right? But not only am I just, you know, I'm not seeing these patients, but I'm also calling Mr. So-and-so, um, making sure that, you know, he got his medications in the mail because he had called me two days ago saying he was out of insulin. I'm constantly pulled in a whole bunch of different directions and there'll be a nurse at my door saying, hey, Dr. A, can I give this shot and this shot together? And also, can you teach this patient how to use insulin? Because, you know, you know we want to put him on insulin. And so you have to be able to manage your time well and multitask. And so those three outside, of course, the knowledge, I think, are, are key to becoming or being, I should say, a successful clinical pharmacist. Okay, great. Communication skills, time management, and multitasking, in addition to, of course, the knowledge that you need for what right. you do. All right. Now, what do you love about what you do? Well, it's funny because most people in medicine will tell you they love helping people, right? And so I used to, <laughs> I used to be on the admissions board at, at TSU for their pharmacy school, and I used to sit in on some of the interviews. And, and you know, we'd ask the potential candidates, "Why do you want to be a pharmacist?" And you know, most people would say, "Oh, I love helping people." And I would always say, "Well, you know, you can help people in other ways. You could be a mechanic. Mechanics help people. Uh, all kinds of people help people in, in essence. But for me," I really enjoy the fact of being able to help somebody prevent long-term complications, right? And so what I mean by that is this, with diabetes, with high blood pressure, with high cholesterol, these things are what we call silent killers, right? Your blood sugar could be three, 400 and you feel fine. You know, your blood pressure could be 180 over whatever, and you feel fine. And so, but, you know, getting people to understand that it's the long-term damage that, that's being done is what we're trying to avoid is, is what I love mostly about what I do. Because a lot of times people wait until something happens for them to say, oh, I need to get this right. You know what I mean? And, you know, sometimes by, by that time, it may be too late. I've had several patients who have gone blind from their diabetes. I've had patients who have amputations from their diabetes. I've had patients who had heart attacks and strokes to the point where they are completely incapable of moving one side of their body because the stroke was that bad, right? And then after that, they're like, oh man, now I got to get my diabetes under control. Now I got to get my blood pressure under control. But by that time, a lot of this damage has been done. Patients who are on um, dialysis. You know, I have, I have a 45-year-old veteran who is on dialysis. Jeez. You know, only because diabetes and blood pressure was uncontrolled for like 10 years. And so by that point, the damage is done. Of course, I'm still going to do what I need to do to help bring the blood sugar down, the blood pressure down, whatever the case may be. But that's the worst case scenario to me. For somebody who is on dialysis 
uh, on a kidney transplant list and now their diabetes is controlled. Like if we would have did that before, we would have prevented all of this. And so that's why I like what I do. And that's why I specifically like the primary care, ambulatory care side of the clinical pharmacy, because I'm trying to prevent those long-term complications that are very rampant, and especially in our community. African-Americans, right. it's very, very rampant. Yeah, no, you're right. And and you're great. I was thinking about the work that you were doing at the county and having them seeing someone like them. And just with our community, a lot of times, like you said, we don't go until it's too late. We don't go to medical professionals until it's too late. So I guess what you're saying is, you know, go to your medical professionals, take the medicine that you need to take, listen to your medical professionals, your doctors, your clinical pharmacists, pharmacists, and then eat right and exercise. Take care of your body. Absolutely. You know, because the thing about it is this, I, and I always say this, and I say this in our group meetings all the time, your health is, is wealth. Mm-hmm. Who cares what you're able to accumulate financially if you are not able to enjoy your life? Because it's one thing to say, oh, you know, I'm 70, 80 years old, but what is your quality of life though? Yeah. Right? What is your quality of your life? When I was doing my residency, I did a month at MD Anderson. Right. I did a month in the ICU at MD Anderson and you would be surprised the people that are at MD Anderson. Some of these people have all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? One of MD Anderson's main buildings is named the Sheikh Zayed Cancer Center or something like that, because that Sheikh had donated hundreds of millions of dollars to MD Anderson because so many of the people from his country were coming over here mm. to get treatment at MD Anderson. Right. But my point is, you know, people would trade all that money that they have in the world for, for their life. Exactly. Right. And so your health is your wealth. If you, if you don't have that, I think that you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I try to preach to all, you know, all that I can. Not just my patients at the county or the VA, but all my friends. I always try to tell them, are you going to the doctor? Are you getting routine? checkups yeah. are you doing this and that or are you trying to watch what you eat so on and so forth because it's so so important yeah. quality of life is is key that you know that's the reason why i left the county to go to the va was quality of life right but in essence in all aspects that's that's what that's what it boils down to me for yeah no you're right i mean a lot of people have excuses they're too busy or whatever but you can't work if you're if you're not healthy right so take care absolutely. of yourself first before right. everything else yeah absolutely All right. So now what about on the flip side? I know you mentioned right now dealing with COVID and having to do things differently using, I guess, telemedicine, but what type of challenges or obstacles do you have? Yeah. So now I'm doing everything that I was doing before, but for the most part remotely. And so now having to do a lot of the education and things like that over the phone or even through video chat. And I think that it, it works and, and it's working, but there are some patients who I do feel like I need to see face to face. It's very tough for me to start a patient on insulin over the phone, you know, um, especially if they've never used it before, you know, this, that, and the other. And I had a patient earlier today who I wanted to actually switch insulin. I wanted to take them off one and put them on another, but then I, I didn't do it because I was worried that if I do that and then I send them out the new insulin, He may forget and may take both. A lot of times when I see a patient face-to-face and they have all their medications, I'll mark a big X and say, don't take this anymore, or I'll take it from them and discard of it myself and say, this is the one you're going to take and explain to them 
have them show me how to give themselves insulin if it's the first I'm teaching so on and so forth. And so stuff like that, I can't really do remotely. And so it's a challenge, but we're getting through it at this time. It's probably best that we still kind of do things the way we're doing it remotely, just for the simple fact that our veteran patient population is older. And so, you know, we're really trying to make sure they don't get COVID. So yeah, keeping them at home right now is, is the best thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So now can you talk about any memorable moments that you've had? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, when I was at the county, one of the biggest moments was when I had a patient, Miss Powell. She's deceased now. But she brought her great-grandson to a visit with me just because she wanted him to see somebody that looked like him who wasn't an athlete, right? Right, right. You know, and who wasn't whatever he was seeing in his community. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this kid came and he sat in on the visit with the two of us, or I guess the three of us, including him. And after the visit, I asked uh, Ms. Powell, I said, oh, were you babysitting him or, you know, were you, you know, keeping him because his parents or grandparents, whoever couldn't keep him? And she said, no, I, I, I purposely had them bring him to me because I wanted him to come to this visit today. I wanted him to see you, meet you, and, and see that, you know, somebody that looks like him can be somebody in, in essence. And so, and that was the first patient who did that. And it was very, very touching to me because, like I said, it just so happened that I got hired for that position that they put me at that specific clinic because Harris right. County has several clinics throughout the city. You know yeah. what I mean? But it just so happened that me as an African-American male was put into that clinic in that environment, in that neighborhood. And, and I was able to develop rapports with all these patients. And, and like I said, moving forward, I had other patients who would do the same thing. You yeah. know what I mean? And, wow. and and so, yeah, I would say I've helped prevent heart attack strokes. Mm. I've helped control patients' diabetes, blood pressures, and things of that nature. But I've also been able to touch others in other other ways. Yep. And so when Miss Powell and her husband, they did another ceremony, because I think they had been married 50 years, so they did another ceremony. I was in attendance. I spoke at that. And when she passed away, I was at her funeral. I spoke at that. And so the rapport and relationships that I've built along the way, I think, have been the most memorable outside of trying to help these patients stay alive and have a better quality of life. Yeah. Wow, man. Very touching and uh, it definitely a memorable moment and memorable moments that you've had. And I yeah. can see why it was very tough for you to leave the county and go yeah. into the VA yeah. or just leave the county in general. Yeah, it was, it was very tough. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, a decision that, that I mold over for over maybe two months. Mm. Ultimately, I, I decided that I needed to do what was best for me and my family. Yep. And so uh, that's why I ended up moving on. And pre-COVID, I would sometimes still go back to the clinic on my days off and just see people and talk to some of the patients and, and stuff like that yeah. uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Do you ever just sit back sometimes and just think about all the lives that you've touched? <laughs> well, you know, I won't say that I, I sit back and think about it in that sense, but I will say that I sit back and think a lot of times about how fortunate I've been mm -hmm. because my path may not have gone this way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I said, it, this was 
you know, just random that I was picked for this position at this specific clinic, you know right. what I mean? And was able to meet these people or meet these people in pharmacy school when I was in school who were are close friends of mine and colleagues of mine to this day, so on and so forth. Yeah. So I feel like I've touched a lot of lives, but I still feel like I'm a very fortunate individual. Yeah. Uh. All right. Well, hey, man, that was great. Thank you. And we're at the end of this interview. I want to ask you some quick hitter questions for fun, for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, I just want to find out if there's anything additional that you would like to discuss or anything you think I might have left off asking you. Well, no. And I know this this interview was, you know, just strictly about clinical pharmacy. Mm -hmm. But I did want to just briefly mention photography. Mm. And I've been doing photography forever. And I turned into a business several years ago, uh, but I didn't really want to plug the actual photography business, but I did want to speak to my Black Fathers project. Mm. Um, and so my Black Fathers project is this. When my first son was born, Mason, a lot of times when I would be out with him and it would just be he and I and my wife wouldn't be with us for whatever reason, people were constantly stopping me and saying, hey, man, this is so good to see. I, I love seeing this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, you with your son. You know, it's always good to see black men with, with their kids or whatever the case may be. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And the first time I got it, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But it kept happening. It kept happening. It kept happening. Yep. And then <laughs> I was at church, a predominantly African-American Catholic church. And it was just Mason and I, because I think Crystal was on call or working that Sunday. And an older lady stopped us and, and was like, it's so good to see this. And I, so I sat down and I had a conversation with her. And I was just like, I keep getting this from different people. And I'm not understanding why. Because everybody around me, all my friends around me who have kids, take care of their kids. They're right. with their kids and stuff like that. But she really sat me down and said that in the African-American community, we don't see this. We don't see it enough. And so when we do see it, we want to say something about it. And so that's why you're getting it. And so that's why I wanted to use my photography to put out there the black men who were in their kids' lives and taking care of their kids and so on and so forth. And so I don't have a big social media presence on Instagram or anything like that, but I just wanted to use what I had to put that out there. So so that's why I started reaching out to, you know, certain people who I knew who were dads and who were obviously in their kids' lives, so on and so forth. I, you know, I took uh, pictures of you and Quentin, so on and so forth. And I wanted to put that out there, you know, mm-hmm. just so that people can see that, yeah, we are in our kids' lives and we are trying to, I guess, display that myth that yep. women don't take care of their kids. Yeah, no, I can attest to what you're saying. I've definitely heard that a lot. And same with you, I didn't understand it. Anytime we went to the park, to Barnes & Noble, library, anywhere, people would do the same thing. Right. And even taking pictures too, want to take pictures. But when you reached out and you told me about your project, I really, I really dug it. I really thought it was a great idea and I love it. I love seeing all the pictures and, and your write-ups on the fathers and all that they do and how great of fathers they are. So no, definitely like that you talked about it. And where can people go to see these? Oh, yeah. So, and I haven't done <laughs> many in a while, but I'm trying to get back into it. But on my Instagram account, soa.digital.imaging, you'll see various pictures, but you will see the Black Fathers projects as well. I think I'm up to maybe 22, 23 dads at this point. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's go to these quick hitter questions. All right. Let's go. All right. The first one, I'm not sure if I should ask you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just joking. What's your, what's your favorite sports team? All right, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite sports team is your favorite sports team, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, you know right. <laughs> You know that. You know that. Even, though, even though Jerry Jones has been making it tough to be a Cowboy fan, they're still my favorite team. Cool. All right. All right. Favorite movie or show? Ah, uh, movie. Well, show. My favorite show probably would be Martin. Just, yeah. just hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, other shows, I would say The Wire, Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Um, but probably Martin, probably. Yeah. 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 Favorite musical artist or group? Uh, okay. Musical artist. Well, probably as far as hip hop is concerned, probably Notorious B.I.G. He's always just been, been my favorite. Um, and even though he didn't put out that much music, you know, anytime I just really want to listen to something, I usually will put that on. But uh, as a shameless plug, my son, all he wants to listen to is Drake. Oh, really? So yeah. <laughs> no matter what, no matter what I'm playing, when I pick him up or we're in the car, he would just say, Daddy, can you put on Drake, please? <laughs> so, yeah, Not a bad artist to listen to. No, nah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Favorite vacation spot? Okay. Favorite vacation spot. I would probably say of the places that, that Crystal and I have been, I'd probably say south of France was probably mm-hmm. my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can just kind of just chill and relax and just do nothing or you can do as much as you want so yeah probably south of france okay and favorite food or drink uh okay well i don't really drink as much anymore so probably favorite food i don't eat a lot of meat either uh but my favorite food would probably be the hawaiian ribeye from Mm. houston's okay but yeah that would probably be my favorite outside of that maybe barbecue yeah yeah well, Sly or Dr. A, um, <laughs> no, this has been great. It's been great. Learned a lot. And it, it's so good, man. I, I love that you're helping so many people, preventing them from long-term complications, all the lives that you touched, the closeness there too, because you're not just helping people, but just you're, the type of person you are. I can see how people can be close to you and ask you to come to their wedding anniversaries or, you know, or you're speaking at you know, certain events. So I just want to congratulate you on all your accomplishments and thank you for all that you've done and thank you for coming on to this podcast you know like i said thank you for having me i've been diligently listening to your podcast and i'm glad you're doing it i'm able to kind of get an inside peek into different things that i had you know no idea about you know i just listened to the, to the guy from the snooze restaurant and i, I was laughing because i was like man I would drive by those places and just see the long lines, be like, man, what's going on in there? You know, so it was interesting to actually hear his side of things from the inside. So thank you for having me. Thank you for your kind words. But thank you also for the podcast because I think it plays a, a pretty good role. Thanks. So I appreciate that. Thanks for that. Thanks. And have a good one, man. You too. Thank you. All right, wait, wait, before we go, though, I know you mentioned your IG. Is that the way that people can get a hold of you if they have any comments or questions or any anywhere else? Yeah, can get ab- a hold of yeah you? absolutely. Um, yeah, they can just shoot me a message on, on Instagram and okay. uh, go from there. Absolutely. All right. Can you say it one more time? Yeah, it's, it's soa.digital.imaging. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, Sly. All right. Thank you, RJ. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be in the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.